We're in the book of James, a series that will last for a couple more weeks before we get into our Advent season. Last week, uh, Will brought the word uh, about humility and pride and taught us that wisdom produces humility, pride produces chaos, uh, and then how to get humility. Um, It's kind of one of those Yogi Berra moments where the moment you think you have a lot of humility, you don't have any humility. Um, And so what does that look like as people who follow Jesus and want to be humble like him? And so we have this uh, example through him. We have the power of the Spirit within us to to humble us, to make us more like Jesus. And so uh, we want to be humble people. And so hopefully we don't realize that we are, and uh, we just have that character of Christ coming from us. This morning we're talking about greed in the 1987 movie Wall Street. Um, The character Gordon Gekko, played by Michael Douglas, delivers a famous speech which included the following thoughts. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. Now, we are all too smart to fall for his speech, right? Because he's obviously the bad guy in the movie. But let's not pretend that we don't often adopt the same kind of attitudes in our own lives or in our own community or for our own nation. In the very least, it's this idea of looking out for number one, putting ourselves first. Contrast those words from Gordon Gecko with this quote from Winston Churchill, who said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And as people who are pursuing Jesus, we don't want fictional bad guys or even real-life heroes to be our standard, but the Word of God and Christ Himself. We want to look at what His Word says, what He has said about generosity, what He has said about the heart of greed. So today, just six verses. I chuckle a little bit because Will had, I think, 17 or 18 to tackle. Uh, Those were assigned before I knew uh, I wouldn't be here. Um, But today, just um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, right? This is James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So just some light language here from James. This is uh, the harshest language we've seen in the book of James. And you might be noticing that James never said greed, uh, really, in this passage. He said the rich. And you're right. But statistically, it's usually those who have more who give away less. And contextually, in the time of the writing of this, it was this really um, kind of the abusive, oppressive attitude of the rich 
towards the poor that he's addressing. And so he says, you rich, you know what you've done, really. If you look at the passage, he's not saying, because you have wealth, you're terrible people. He's saying, look at all the things you've done, your heart towards your wealth. He's condemning the misuse, the oppression, the hoarding, the lording wealth over people. And we combine that with the rest of what the Word of God says, and we can see that it's not money that is evil. Scripture specifically says it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil, not money itself. So we can pretty plainly see that the condemnation here is targeting greed, not wealth. And this condemnation from James gives us, not so subtly, the title for our message this morning, in the face of Gordon Gecko's speech, Greed is Not Good. Greed is not good. This is an understatement in light of what we just read from James about things destroying and eating flesh and burning fire. He's strongly condemning in a really vivid picture because he's portraying and calling out and saying that there is justice for sin that awaits you and kind of the futility of seeking earthly treasure. I think we can all agree that greed is not good, right? So let's look at why it's not good and how we can combat it. First, greed hoards what doesn't last. Greed hoards what doesn't last. This point reminds me of our series in Ecclesiastes where we kept seeing that everything is meaningless. Everything is a vapor, chasing the wind, a striving after the wind. Solomon spoke about material possessions and the waste of time that it is to put our hope in them and to tie our dreams to them. The point then, way back in the Old Testament days of Solomon, and the point in the time of James, and the point now, is that earthly things will pass away. There is an expiration date on creation. Everything under the sun, as Solomon liked to say. The only things that will last are eternal souls, and the one who oversees them, the great I am, the God of the universe, and yet our flesh, the natural desires within us, crave these temporary treasures. What God wants us to see and what James understands is that these desires are really longing for what is eternal. We really need what God has promised to give us in the next life, but we settle for what is here and now. I don't know if you've followed the Powerball news lately with the grand prize, and I had to edit it this morning because uh, it has changed since the initial writing of this um, message. It's now over $1.9 billion, with a B dollars. As of last night, there was still no winner, and while my issue is not with the Powerball per se, but with the information I was reading surrounding the Powerball and lottery, I read that most people take the lump sum rather than the yearly payouts over 30 years, even though the yearly payouts will eventually amount to nearly twice the winnings in some cases when all is said and done. Some have justifiable reasons for this, uh, if you can, or at least more justifiable reasons, like I'm not going to be around in 30 years, so I want the money now. Um, now they could, I think, sometimes set up a trust where it could go to someone else, but they're not worried about that, right? It's this attitude of greed starts to creep in. Most people want the bigger score immediately, um, even though it's less over time. Sometimes they think they can turn that money into more by investing it, right? So I can make more by investing it with high risk, high reward kind of stuff um, than a long-term investment of the interest that is paid out annually. There's a sense of greed in this strategy, right? Because investing uh, to multiply is not bad in itself, but it's hard to imagine that this multi-million dollar or billion dollar payout is just not enough, right? I, I could turn it into more. 
Uh, I always picture that scene from Indiana Jones in the, uh, the Holy Grail one, the Last Crusade, um, where everything's falling apart. They've been chasing this Holy Grail for the whole movie, and they finally get it, but things start to shatter and fall apart. And it's like, I'm about to die, but the girl's like, but it's right there. Like, I can get it. I can touch it. Like, just considering, I'm, I might die for this, but I, I can grab it. I can, it's right there. This attitude of greed, it just, again, burned in my brain. Sometimes these um, movie movie scenes, movie quotes. I kind of diversify my illustrations. Uh, I've seen also documentaries, so I'll give you more uh, film or TV examples, uh, about past lottery winners, right? They'll interview these people and, and the tragic paths that their lives have taken after winning this life-changing amount of money, you would think for the better, and it's often not for the better. They regret going public, right? So people that they don't even know, in addition to all the people they do know, asking for handouts, coming out of the woodwork, looking for a piece of the winnings. This is what greed does. By definition, it's never satisfied, and it always seeks more. This is why greed leads to anxiety, and it always has. Remember these words from Jesus in Matthew 6. These are verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, which James referenced, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in verse 24, he says, you cannot serve God and money. He follows up this passage directly in verse 25 with the following, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So this anxiety is tied to this desire for earthly treasure, this unhealthy obsession with possessions and material things. And one of the aspects of greed that causes such anxiety is the temporariness of the things we pursue. The super oversimplified example of this is drug addiction. The high is so powerful, but the high is also short-lived. So you have this immense desire repeating and short-circuiting your brain, destroying your body, hijacking your life, because you just cannot keep up with the impulse. We weren't created to. It's like C.S. Lewis wrote that if we find in ourselves a desire of which nothing in this world can satisfy, we must come to the conclusion we were created for something outside of this world, beyond this world. Most of our greed is not this obvious, like drug addiction. It's not this visibly destructive. Most of our greed 
I think, is manifested under God, I'm sorry, under good and prudent labels like security, stability, safety, self-care, me time, etc. Now hear me, these are not bad things. Let's just make sure that when we're using these labels that we're honest with ourselves and with others and especially with God when we make decisions about what we're pursuing, what we're accumulating, or to make it sound better sometimes, what we're saving for later. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we're just being prudent when we're really being stingy. It's not exactly the same thing, but sometimes one or more of our kids will go and grab a treat and we'll say, what are you doing? And they'll say, I'm getting some for my brother or sister or so-and-so, and also one for me, right? Uh, it's a great move. It's brilliant. Um, but I'm not so sure that they would be doing the, the beneficial work, the uh, humanitarian effort of giving some to their siblings if there weren't enough to also have some for themselves. So it's this idea of I'm doing a good thing, but really I'm scratching my own back, right? And not just helping others. We have a way of glossing over our greed like this too, I think. We, we need to ask ourselves if our saving has become hoarding, uh, why we aren't more generous, why, why we're stingy or downright greedy at times. And we have this constant battle that we're fighting as Christians. We're reminding ourselves that the things of this world are passing away. God's Word tells us this. We read this in our call to worship. That the pleasures of this world are fleeting and that nothing can satisfy us short of Jesus himself. In fact, all of these lesser desires and even our natural necessary desires like hunger and thirst, they exist to point us to a need for deeper, more fulfilling and lasting satisfaction that can only be realized in Christ. But we don't and won't ever really turn to Christ until we come to the end of ourselves. This is why greed is so powerful, because it focuses on pleasing self. Point number two pulls the curtain back on this truth a little bit, and that is greed glorifies self. So number one, greed hoards what doesn't last. Number two, greed glorifies self. James personalizes this condemnation at every turn, saying, your riches, your garments, your gold and silver, you laid up treasure, you have lived in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts. Such an emphasis, right, on me, 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 me. I think James is also emphasizing the earthly source of the riches here, saying these blessings aren't just directly a blessing from God related to, right, uh, his favor towards you. This is your pursuit, your reward. And so now, this treasure that you've obsessed over is your reward, rather than using it to glorify God and receiving a more intangible blessing from him as reward, something eternal. This over-pursuit of earthly wealth is a self-glorifying act. Greed in our hearts sets us on the throne, not just of our lives, but of the universe. Because self-glorification is not just looking out for self, it's disregarding and elevating ourselves above others. It's not wrong or bad to look out for ourselves. When Paul writes about selflessness, he doesn't say, only look out for the interests of others. He says, don't only look out for yourself. See the difference? There's a key concept here that's um, a parallel to marriage, I think, where we're not supposed to treat ourselves like we don't matter, 
Because this only leads to self-pity and false humility and this woe is me-ism. But we are supposed to put others before ourselves. We're supposed to pursue the good of others before we pursue our good. We're to think of ourselves less, not think less of ourselves, as Rick Warren says. It's not a devaluing of self. It's not a I'm not worthy. It's I'm not worried about building myself up as much as I'm worried about building someone else up. But if I'm always thinking about what I'm lacking or what I need, then I'll definitely become the most wronged and overlooked man on the planet, even as I seek to fulfill myself. This is the misleading truth about greed. Remember, it always wants more, no matter how much it gets. Because we convince ourselves that we deserve more, or we need more, or we can't survive without more, but we just keep telling ourselves this lie. Because at the heart of greed is really a glorifying in self, greed is really just another manifestation of our sinful nature. Uh, One of my former pastors used to always say that sin, S-I-N, stands for selfishness. It's cheesy, but it's true, and I remember it. All sin is an exalting of self over everything else and everyone else. This makes greed and all sin difficult to battle but easy to diagnose. When we diagnose it properly, we know that the antidote is grace. This is point number three. Greed's antidote is grace. Grace is often defined as receiving good that you didn't deserve. So when our struggle involves getting, saving, hoarding, keeping, receiving, like it does with greed, the thing that dissolves our greediness is realizing how abundantly God has blessed us and that the fountain of his grace never runs dry. Because greed convinces us that there's not enough whatever to go around. Greed says get all you can for yourself because there may not be enough for everyone and you want to make sure you're covered. Greed says no matter how much you get, it's not enough. But Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened. Not the first hundred to show up. Not asterisk while supplies last. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. In Ephesians 2, he mentions the surpassing riches of God's grace. Acts 4.33 describes God's grace as great or abundant, depending on your translation. Any grace is more than we deserve, but abundant grace is what we're shown. We were singing it earlier. What I deserve is not what I got. And the generosity of others helps to shrink our greed, especially when it's God being generous with grace for sinners like you and me. Grace reminds me that I will never have enough or do enough on my own. Grace reminds me that I need to extend grace to others through generosity. Grace reminds me that I am not the center of the universe and that God is, and that apart from him, I can do nothing. And unless I recognize how much grace God has shown me in Jesus, then I won't be quick to show grace to others. A YouTuber went viral years ago. Um, This was actually a decent reason to go viral, uh, for a social experiment that he had documented, where he walked into a pizza shop, 
And people, paying customers are sitting eating their pizza, and he would just walk up and say, hey, I'm hungry, can I have some? And they're all like, no, go away. Some of them more politely than others, but they all refused. Nobody gave him any pizza. Any pizza. So then he had a couple of his friends give a pizza to a homeless man on the street outside. And a few minutes later, he approached the homeless man, and he said, uh, hey, do you have any extra slices? And the homeless man says, yeah, are you, are you hungry? And he says, yeah. So sure, and gives him a piece of pizza without hesitation. So the guy just sits down. He's like, hey, thanks. You know, it means a lot. He's like, yeah, no problem. He knew what it was like, right, to be hungry. He knew what it was like to receive help, and he knew what it looked like to help others. Brothers and sisters, if, if you know Jesus, then you know what it's like to be dead in sin. And you know what it's like to be shown grace, and you know what it looks like to show grace to others. We ought to be generous people because God's generous heart towards us in Christ has showered us with grace. The abundant riches of grace, more than we could ever need. And if we will recognize and enjoy God's grace, then we can extend God's grace and we'll see greed fade from our hearts and from our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for just the abundant riches of grace that you have showered upon us. We know, God, that um, not everybody uh, in this room or in this community can, can claim to even be rich. But compared to the rest of the world, we, we are. Um, compared to someone, we are. God, we, um, we want our, our hearts to, to desire your grace and your mercy more than the things of this world. We want to be found, God, we want to be found faithful with the things of the world that we do have. As you have blessed us with whatever we have materially, we are now stewards or managers of that. God, you, you own everything. You are the source of every good gift. God, may our lives reflect that. Whether we have a lot or a little, may it be said of us that we are generous, that we are loving, that we share, that we show grace to those in need because we want to reflect the image of God that is on us. We want to see the character of Christ manifested through our lives. We want to bear the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives. So God, I pray that you would reveal to us in the corners of our hearts and minds these, these areas of greed that, that maybe we've glossed over, maybe we've justified, maybe we've um, convinced ourselves that it's okay, but God, you're calling us to more, more generosity, more compassion, more grace. We thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you for the truth of your word and how it uh, transforms us. Uh, we pray, God, that it will continue to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. God, again, we thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.